Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Well, happy Sunday. Welcome back to uh, another episode, another edition here of, uh, of Sunday Morning Live here at Nashville Vineyard. We're so thankful that you're joining us uh, today as we're uh, continuing uh, the discussion about uh, how we steward our lives uh, as a people of God. We're wrapping up, uh, hitting the last of the Ten Commandments here, and uh, and so I'm looking forward uh, to diving in today. Before we do, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord uh, to come and to enlighten our hearts uh, so that we can learn from him today what he has for us. So Father, we thank you so much for all that you're doing on the earth right now. We thank you for your son, that we now have the right and the authority and the access to come to you because of Jesus, your son. Father, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit to rest on us, to fill us to the full, to overflowing, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive what it is you have for us today. And it's in the name of Jesus that we can ask these things. Amen. So I'd like us to turn to uh, the book of Isaiah. It's where we've been um, sort of launching off each week uh, because... This is our our foundational text. This is what we believe the Lord is doing right now. This is what we believe he's saying. It's Isaiah 55 and 6, and you'll remember it. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. And that's what we're saying is that this is a time in history. This is a moment where the Lord is here and he is is moving and he is working and, and we can find him right now. And it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the high as the heavens are of the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and bring it forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in the thing in which I sent it. And so we believe that the Lord is moving, he's working today, that it's a time to find him, it's a time to repent, it's a time to say, your ways are not my ways. I think for so long, the people of God have tried to conform God into their ways. We've tried to to make God fit into our boxes. We have asked him to come and bless what we're doing instead of going where he is blessing. We've asked him to come and to do what we want him to do instead of submitting our lives and saying, not my will, but your will be done. And so we're, we're trying to repent, which means to, to reorient and rethink and to, to have a metanoia, a change in our, in our hearts and in our minds of how we think through things 
and understanding that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so then we must come to the word of God and, and have it form our thoughts and, and have our lives shaped by what it says. He desires obedience and not sacrifice. Jesus says that if you love him, you'll keep his commands. And so we're looking at the commandments and, and, and we're wanting to, to find his ways in them. And so we're here in Exodus 20 at the very end uh, of his commandments, the very last one. We see it here. It says we'll start Exodus 20, verse 17. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. I think this is kind of funny how detailed uh, the Lord gets here of all of the different things that we're not allowed uh, to covet. The word covet means to want, to to desire something that is not yours to become yours. And the Lord says, not only should you not covet what your neighbor has, uh, you shouldn't covet his his wife, or I would say his husband. You 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 shouldn't uh, covet uh, the the possessions that he has, the status that he has. Don't covet anything that isn't yours. Don't covet anything that belongs to someone else. Now, this is a huge command for us today. We, we have actually an economic uh, system built on and run out of a covetous desire. We are a coveting people. Uh, we are a people that want what we don't have. We, we, are, we are set up and we're trained in Billions and billions of dollars of marketing uh, money and advertisements are, are spent to help us covet more and covet better, to want new things and shiny things and the things that our neighbor has to keep up with the Joneses. This is who we are as a people. And so this command comes to us today, and it's important for us to understand we are not supposed to covet. You're not supposed to want what you don't have, especially when it comes to stuff and things and power and position and authority. And this is so much of what we do. We, we are a people who covet well. Uh, I'll never forget the time when I, I, we had moved to, to a different city. It was a pretty wealthy city. And I couldn't help but notice how terrible our cars were compared to everyone else's cars. And it was, it was eating at me. And I remember thinking, like, we've got to do something about this. And it was the first time that I found myself just really entangled in, in this covetous desire for things that I, I didn't have. I couldn't have. And it was eye-opening to me how, how much it plagued me and how much uh, thought and attention and, and desire uh, was growing to have something that I didn't have, that I couldn't afford. And, and, and I realized then the trap of desire, the trap of coveting. And, and remember, the Lord set these commands out for a people that he was freeing out of bondage, out of enslavement from Egypt. 
And he was bringing them out of that enslavement, out of that bondage, and he was setting them apart as a people holy unto himself. And so he designs these, these commandments and he sets them in place to keep them from the slavery that they were in. And that's what coveting does. Coveting it enslaves us. It, it, it completely entangles us and it keeps us trapped and enslaved to, to things that we don't have. It, it, it invites greed to come in. It invites all of these things to come in. And, it, and what it does is it will absolutely consume us. It will, it will take over our desires. It will take over um, our efforts and our energy. And it will become the driving force for our life. God wants to be the driving force for our life. We were created to be in relationship with God. We were designed to be with God and to work with God and for him to, to drive us and, and for, for his desires to be our desires. And so coveting is so counter to what God has created us to be because coveting will absolutely take over your life and it will run your life and your life will run towards getting things and getting stuff and getting position and getting influence, getting recognition. And so it's important to think through how much of our life is, is being fueled by a covetous desire to have what our neighbor has, to have what the people that we follow on social media have, to have what our, 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 the people that we were in relationship in high school have, to have the things that we see other people have. That is coveting. And if, if you begin to look at it, so much of our lives are built on getting us to a point where we can have the things that we don't have, that we desperately want, that we think will fill us, will give us purpose, will give us happiness, will give us uh, peace. It, we, 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 have, we have built our lives around that. And we work hard. Uh, we work hard for status. We work hard for money. And most of the time, the reason we do isn't so that we can create a legacy uh, for our children, isn't so that we can fund the ministry and the works of God that, that can be done, but it's, it's so that we can acquire things. Typically, it's things that other people have that we see that we want. And this covetousness will, will absolutely fuel us, and it will take over. And so a good exercise is to invite the Holy Spirit, and we'll do this uh, at the end, to invite the Holy Spirit in to search us, to show us how much of our time, our energy, our efforts, and our affections are built around our covetous desires. How much of what we want involves the things that we see that we don't have, that we think we need. The cars, the houses, the clothes, the, the, the status, the fame, the influence, the recognition. These are the things that we as a people spend our life seeking instead of spending our life with, with the desire to have the things that God wants us to have. 
And so he comes to his people and he says, you have to stay away from this because this will enslave you. You cannot be free and be mired in covetousness. You, you, you can't be free to follow God and simultaneously be, be driven to, to acquire things that other people have. You can't do it. Yet so many of us are entangled in this. So, so much of everything in our lives are designed around this. To keep up with the Joneses, to, to, to show off what we have, to, to one-up someone else, to get the thing that we think we need. And, and, and we have to steer clear of this. Paul says that the opposite of that is learning to be content in all things. So it's the stuff isn't a bad thing. It's the coveting the stuff. And it's learning to be content right where you're at. Can you learn, no matter if you're in a menial job, if you're, if you're without something that you think you need, can you learn and practice the art of contentment? The people of God look like a people who can become content in what they have currently. In their current situation, in their current lot in life, can you learn the practice, the spiritual discipline of being content in all things? This is what the people of God are called to look like. How much of your dreams, how much of your thoughts are about achieving that next thing, about getting to that next place, about if I could just get to that house, if I could just get to that job, if I could just get that car, if I could just get to that position in life, if I could speak at that event, if I could write that book, if I could be known as that person and that kind of person, how much of our dreams are, are centered around getting to that place, wherever it is? That is an indicator that we haven't learned to be content. See, God will lead us and guide us and open doors and open access and he'll promote and he will, he will uh, bless accordingly. And he'll do that based upon our obedience to him. And he will not allow us as a people of God to knock down and kick down things for too long because he wants to lead us and he wants to guide us. And so he wants us to learn to be content in all things wherever we're at. And that if nothing else in the world ever changes, can we learn to be a content people? A people that, that believe that where they're at is actually where they're supposed to be at. And that there's things the Lord has for them in those places, in that moment, that they need to to receive and they need and jobs they need to do. So so coveting is a is a bigger deal than just not wanting something else that somebody else has. Coveting goes right to the heart of who we are as a people. It cuts through all of the stuff and and what it does is it begins to affect our very purpose in being created. Because it, it takes us out of who we are, who God has made us to be, and it, it positions us against that in a want and a desire to be somewhere 
or someone else. And this is why it's such a big deal to God, because God takes who you are and who you have been created to be very seriously. He has spent a lot of time and effort and energy in, in creating you to do specific things with your life that only you can do. God has designed you. He has dreamt you up. He has dreamt plans for you. He has uh, a purpose and, and a cause for your life that has nothing to do with anyone else. And it's only about you. You are a unique creation. And this is why the people of God are called to be also so pro-life in every means and, and, and way that that works. This is why earlier he says, don't kill, don't murder people. Because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're coming against the creation of God. We are not uh, just a mass-produced item as people. We are people that God has created and planned and dreamed and died for. And when you covet, what you say then in your heart is that what you have created me to be is not good enough for me. It's not what I want. What you have positioned me, where you have placed me, the, the, the talents and the gifts and, and, and the influence and the friends and, and the family, those things that I'm, I'm wanting to change are actually the things that he has given us. And he has created us to do certain things. I want to, I want to read a couple of scriptures here. First is coming from uh, the book of Ephesians. If I can get here. And it's Ephesians 2, verse 10. And it says that we are his, or God's, creation. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Before the, the foundations of the earth were put in place, we were his workmanship. The word is poema, poem, art, creation, a specific thought designed thing. You, me, individually. And we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, for, for things that he has to do for us to do that only we can do. He has crafted this artistic picture that is you. And he has set before you things and plans and purposes that he has set before only you. And so coveting what that does is it spits in the face of who he has created us to be. He doesn't want you to be like your neighbor. He wants you to be you. He has created you to do things that only you can do. He has desires for you that only you can fulfill. You have a job to do that no one else can do. And this is why it's so... Uh, blasphemous makes it sound a little bit dramatic, but it, it, it's the word that continues to come to mind. It's blasphemy. 
for us to desire someone else's life because he has given us this life and has given us a plan. Now, here's what it doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that if you're, if you're currently in a terrible situation, that we're just supposed to suck it up. That's not what that means. But what it does mean is that, you know, there are things about who you are, your personality, uh, your giftings, your innate talents and abilities, your perception on life, um, your, your, your spheres of influence, uh, who, who you're around, uh, what you can do. Those are the things that he has put inside of you. He created you and he is calling you to do specific things. And so when we desire someone else's life, when we covet someone else's life, we, what we do is we hinder ourselves from accomplishing the purpose of our own very, our, our very own life. And so in doing that, we, we allow ourselves to fall short of what we were created to be. And that fuels then the desire to be something else. And so it becomes this system, it becomes this, this cycle that we, we continually swirl around and find ourselves in. And it continues to move us further and further and further away from, from our ability to accomplish the things that we are to accomplish. So I want to talk to you. And I, I want you to understand that the Lord has put dreams in your heart that you think are just your own dreams. But those dreams are, are directly deposited from the throne room of God. And he has placed those dreams and he's placed those desires deep within you, who you are and deep within your heart. And he loves those dreams and he loves those desires more than you do. And he cares about those things more than you do. As, as crazy as that seems, because he's the one who gave them to you in the first place. Scripture tells us that he created you to do things that only you can do. And those dreams are those propellant in order to do those good works. And so we need to begin to become a people who are comfortable being who we are created to be. And not feeling as though we need to become someone else. Not feeling as though we need to, we need to be the kind of person that we esteem and that we like. We need to be like Jesus and we need to express Jesus through, through ways that only we can express him. And so there are people all over that are walking around and they're not living out their purpose and they're not fulfilling who, who they're created and called to be because they're so busy trying to be someone else. And there should never, ever be two of the same kinds of people. Because God has created each person individually. The psalmist says it like this. He says it in Psalm 138. Sorry, 139. Verse 13, he says this. For you have formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. 
when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all were written, the days to fashion for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is the psalmist writing what what is the truth about who we are, who you are. That you weren't just created in, in your mother's womb by God, but you were created and dreamed up and skillfully crafted in order to do certain things. And the thoughts that God has about you, you are on God's mind. He has thoughts about you and plans and dreams and hopes and good things about you that it says would outnumber the sand. Do you think about yourself that way? Or do you still think about yourself as someone who is a screw up, someone who has blown it, someone who isn't good enough, someone who doesn't deserve X, Y, or Z, someone who, who needs to, to fundamentally become something else? Look, we, we preach life change. We, we, we preach repentance. I, I believe in that. But what that really means is becoming the righteousness of Christ. And the, the word righteousness there means to become as one who was originally meant to be. Coming into the knowledge of who you are in Christ Jesus is understanding that only you are called to be you. And that is enough for God. God has more thoughts about you than the sand of, of, the, shore, of the shore. The days are fashioned for you. He has, he, he has crafted plans and days for you. This is how God thinks about you. And what if we began to believe it? What if we began to live our life like we were not an accident? Like we're not just bumbling through the universe, just random coincidences and random people and, and however your birth story has played out, maybe, maybe you were unwanted as a child so that, that, that people have told you. Maybe, maybe you, you feel like um, you, you're not supposed to be here. Maybe you feel like you're never going to measure up. What if you began to believe what the scriptures say in, in God's higher ways than us, in his higher thoughts than we can imagine? And what if we began to say, I'm just going to believe what the scriptures say. And the scriptures say that he created you with a purpose, that he has plans for your life, that go beyond what you're currently living in. That he thinks about you, God, the creator of the universe who stands outside of time and space, thinks about you and his thoughts are so many that you can't even count them. You're on his mind. What would you do if you believed that? How would you live if you, if you actually thought that God was thinking about you? 
and he was eagerly awaiting to see you accomplish the things that he has skillfully crafted. Just like, like a parent who, who has set out the toys on Christmas morning, eagerly awaiting for the, for the children to discover the gifts and to play and to, and to move in the things that they have so thoughtfully and, and worked so hard to provide. This is how God sees your life. He, he is eagerly waiting for you to discover the purposes and the plans that he has for you. And so often, we feel less than. We feel inadequate. We feel incomplete. We feel like we, if we could just get this, if we could just have this relationship, if, if we could just accomplish these things, and the Lord is, is saying, no, no, no. I have plans for you that are different from those plans that you're trying to imitate, that are different from the callings of the people that you're trying to imitate. And once you begin to start walking in the purposes of your life individually, you're going to experience something that you've only dreamed about. It's, it's meaning. It's purpose. It's calling. This is the plans that God has for you. And so he comes to his people that he's rescued from slavery. And in slavery, each one is just a cog in a machine. Each one is just... Is just the same as the other. And they're just accomplishing the wills of their masters. And he, he rescues his people and he sets them aside. And he says, don't covet what you don't have because you don't understand how special you are. You are a work of art that God has worked on and created. And he has specific things for you to do. So don't spend your time coveting what you don't have. Spend your time discovering who you're meant to be. This is what the final commandment is leading us into. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to, to reveal the places, all the, and there's going to be a lot of places that we are coveting things that we don't have. And we're going to repent and then we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to show us who we are in Christ Jesus. His workmanship, his poema, his, his artistic creation. And we're going to begin to start living out the purposes that God has for only you to accomplish. Okay? So, Father, we ask that you enlighten us, that you send your Spirit to, to lead us into the truth the truth of, of what we're coveting, of how our lives are, are, are running towards things that, that you haven't planned for us. Holy Spirit, would you reveal all of those places in our hearts and in our minds that we are occupied and preoccupied with wanting what other people have? And Lord, we repent for that. Forgive us for that. Not just because you say not to do it, although that's enough. But because what we're doing is we're saying that, that, that we, that which you have created, are inadequate. And God, we know that you would not create an inadequate person. 
Would you begin to show us what you think of us? Would you begin to reveal in us the plans and the purposes that you have for us? The Lord says that you are not an accident. The Lord says that you were planned. The Lord says that he knew you when you were being formed in your mother's womb. The Lord says that, that he has greater things for you than you can ever imagine because his thoughts and his ways are better than anything that you can imagine. The Lord says that you have believed lies about who you are. That's why there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation beats you down. And those thoughts that beat you down, that you are inadequate, that you have screwed up too much, that you can't do it, there is now for no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you convict us to live the lives that we were created to live? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God has a plan for you specifically. To live out specifically. A purpose that only you can fulfill. And he wants desperately to begin to lead you and to show you those things. Will you let him in? Will you stop wasting time coveting and start getting on with becoming the creation that you were meant to become? This is the call. We love you. We hope to see you uh, in our home churches, uh, in our services on Sunday, right back here uh, each week. And, uh, and we'll see you at this time next week, hopefully as someone who has grabbed a hold of the purposes and the plans that God has for them. Bless you. For all upcoming events, more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.